Here we go again, cringers. I'm Stacy. And I'm Steve. And this is our cringe fest. This episode is going to be be about our interview with Steve Rudinsky. But first, how are you doing, Steve? I'm great. I'm great. I loved this interview. It was so much fun. I have a giant project at home that I... Anybody know how to get rid of a mattress? If anybody could tell me how to get rid of a mattress. 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah, I don't want to pay for it. No. I don't know. Maybe All right. Well, you know. Uh, But yes, I'm trying to swap out a queen-size mattress, and it's a pain in the ass. Is the new one working out for you? I haven't set it up yet. I got to get rid of the old one. (laughs) I know I've told I've told myself I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know set up the new one and 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 push the old one out into the hall or something until I have a plan to get rid of the old one. Okay. And I'm not gonna pay for it. I will not pay to dispose of a mattress. Okay. Okay. Is that okay with you? I don't really give a shit. Really? I'm in Alaska. What do I care about your fucking mattress? I would care about your mattress. I mean, I care about how you sleep at night. I don't care about how you get rid of the old one. Really? <laughs> I see, do care about see, how if you the, sleep. See, if the tables were turned, I would worry about you getting rid of a mattress. That's just the kind of sweetheart I am. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting a little punchy, <laughs> Stacy. <laughs> That's because we just had an awesome interview with Steve this night. <laughs> Rudzinski. Rudzinski. Yeah. Um, he was he was very kind to well, you. Gotta, to wait, hang on. You got you got to so... tell us what's new with you. Tell us what's uh, new with you, Stacy. Oh, I'm a little punchy because I'm got a household to move in a weird time frame. <laughs> and our schedules are all over the place and we've got we've got we've got a good start we've still got a long ways to go i haven't even tackled my office here moving is um, a bitch moving is the worst thing in the world uh, yeah well let's talk about this interview we just did oh my goodness it was epic and you know, it's yeah, he earned his reputation of being Mr. Thirsty runner up. <laughs> not gonna lie, I did not mind the the yeah, you know, he was he was really cool, very patient because we we keep things on topic, but we keep things so loose. We don't want to sit there and just interview like because I'm sure he's tired of that anyway. Well, you don't. I want it to be like face the nation. I want kicking typewriters in the background. Yeah, no, that's tacky. <laughs> that's tacky the nation. I don't, I, I want it to be as, it's just fun and let loose. I mean, it's not like we're like a crazy ass podcast to begin with. We're just two people who talk about bad movies and are lucky enough to have amazing directors and writers and, and actors come on our podcast for whatever I, I think there's, I don't know what we do to them, but it's awesome to have that. No, no, no one's ever asked to come back. 
you know, so that, that may be. Well, seems like he's only our it. second one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was definitely, it's definitely cool to, to be able to talk to people who just do it for the love of it. And a lot of the things he cites as inspiration are some of my favorite movies anyway. And I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that 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 was that was really nice. And I think I understand more why we like his movies so much. Yeah. You know. He he his sense of humor is awesome. Uh his reasoning for doing what he does is epic. I I do want to subscribe to his channel. Um, yeah, I, once I just... the move is done, I'm I'm totally subscribing because I want to see all the <laughs> I want to see the beginning of this career that just is is awesome, <laughs> and I can't wait to see how far he goes because this carousel help two is or sorry the second carousel is, the second all right yeah is is just it's just a taste and. I, I didn't give Meowie Halloween a, a better chance because I think it was so early on our journey that I didn't I didn't give it the what it was worth. We didn't know that at that time that it was the third in a four part series. Right. And so you I know, think that so. well, we, we just seem to do that very rarely. I mean, with Killer Sofa, Carousel and where rooster those the sequels hadn't been made until just recently or being made right now so we didn't have the curse that we have now which is a lot of times uh jack and um some of the oh, other halloween jack yeah. halloween jack and bloody bobby we're just now realizing that a lot of these are the the sequels and, yeah, and so you're kind of I think maybe of, we we ought to change our rules a little bit so we can we can prevent No. No. I think we can I think we can definitely go back and watch the first one but that was never a rule. The rule is you cannot do research. We're going to read the thumbnail and a lot of times the thumbnails we, don't We may have to arm us. wrestle for that. Oh, we'll no. have a we'll have a virtual arm wrestling match. I'd win. Probably. I play dirty. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I but I definitely think that if if we do something like that, that I mean, there's no rule that says we can't go back and watch the first one. Yeah. There's only the only rule is I think if, if we the might, thumbnail we might enjoy the second, second one. one. We might enjoy the second one more if we. But the problem is the the thumbnails for those two movies did not say that they were sequels. I think I think we can make an addendum to if the thumbnail says that it's a sequel to. I I I, we I can you, then go back and watch the all first right, one. I, I, I'm going to cut you off. Okay, we're going to get our lawyers involved and we'll work this out. I'll have my dog call your dog. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> all right i wonder Let's, what they would do if we actually like put them on screen together my dog would eat the phone <laughs> <laughs> i don't steam a speedy mic aboard all right ladies and gentlemen without further ado this is our interview 
with Mr. Steve Rudzinski, the second place runner-up thirst trap of the greater Pittsburgh area. All right, well, let's just get going, if that's okay. It's okay with me. All right. Uh, Just a little (laughs) bit of an introduction. Uh, We're joined here with uh, uh, Steve Rudzinski today. Uh, Steve, I wrote down your some of your many many credits, so you could you can error check me on this. You got it. Writer, <laughs> director, producer, actor, Spider Man. All this is accurate so far. Pittsburgh thirst trap runner up. Congratulations yep. on that winner, one. Winner of a top thirst trap. I'm very proud of that. Very proud. Yeah. That must be a fit. Can I? Can I just? So, so this must be a Pittsburgh thing. And and please explain to me thirst trap, because I'm from Alaska. Actually, I am in Alaska. So, could you explain this to me? Okay. Well, the term thirst trap is not just a Pittsburgh thing. Like a lot of in in the United States, at least in the continental United States, a lot of major cities will have one of their more entertainment-based newspapers, and they all of them have a best of the city voting thing every year. Right. Um, I was making fun of the Pittsburgh one until I did a convention appearance in um, North Carolina. No, I'm sorry. It was Nashville. It was Nashville, Tennessee. And, like, Pittsburgh had, like, 200 categories, and it was insane. I'm like, why do you have this many categories? And then I got to Nashville, and they had, like, 450. And I was like, <laughs> never mind. I guess they just want to give as many people awards as possible to try to get them to buy ad space or something. I don't know the motivation. Uh, but the idea of a thirst trap is someone that induces thirst. And thirst in the sense of being sexually provocative. Like, you are thirsty for Henry Cavill, for example. <laughs> as am I. Um, so, you know, Pittsburgh City Paper had this contest, you know, the best of Pittsburgh. And one of the categories was best thirst trap. Because there's no best filmmaker. There's no best actor. It's like <laughs> trivial, trivious bullcrap. Um, and... You know, there's no, there was no malice in my decision making. It was just a case of like, oh, it's it's basically an award for the sexiest, hottest person. The winners are going to be the normal, run of the mill, what you would expect in that category. Wouldn't it be funny if I got a bunch of my fans to write me in, so they had to put me on the ballot? Oh, now I'm on the ballot, and now I'm officially in the running. Wouldn't it be funny if I got a bunch of my fans to vote for me, so they had to print this random dipshit as a winner of a top? And don't get me wrong, I post myself in sexually provocative positions plenty of times, but that's not my main focus. And yes, it was hilarious when they had to print my name when I wasn't even on the original ballot, but I shot to the top. I love that so much. Well, the other thing I wanted to mention was I I was just looking at your uh, Twitter this morning, and uh, congratulations, this uh, LA Indie Horror Fest Best Picture. That's exciting. Yes, sir. It is. um, I don't do a lot of film fest because um, it's not my cup of tea. I've always said to other filmmakers, film fests are basically just paying other people money to maybe watch your movie. Sure. (laughs) Um, but I felt good enough about Carousel 2 that I wanted to send it to a few fests so just a few new people might see the film just to mm-hmm. expose it a little bit better. And yeah, um, it got into the uh, LA Indie Horror Fest and won Best Feature Film, which is, it's not my first award, it's not my first like top of the year sort of thing, but it is my first technical, specific Best Feature Award. So that was cool. That's, well, congratulations! That's, that's yeah, really congratulations. awesome. Thank it's you. those it's yeah. those ones that you just like. 
you know, we talked to David Redford and he's like, it's just those ones where you're just not expecting it. And it's like, oh, you, you appreciate what I'm <laughs> yeah. doing and I just don't care. And, and that seems to be <laughs> one of the best things about a lot of directors yeah. is when you, when you accept it, but you're like, I just did it for me and maybe a couple of friends. <laughs> that's, that's the best part. Well, I will say, even though that it won Best Feature Film, not a single person has reached out to me from that festival that, like, was there or saw it. I haven't sold a single copy because of this award. I just have some wheat to throw on a picture now. So that's... Well, well, you've honestly actually sold two copies. Yeah, that's true. Or, we have. Oh, no, I just <laughs> meant because of L.A. <laughs> because of L.A. Right. Yeah. We bought it because we loved, loved um, Carousel, and uh, it was actually one of our first movies... Yeah, I think it was the uh, second movie we watched together when we started this project. I, I think it was right after Bird Demic, so three. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. If that gives you an Quite idea. Of the... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we, we, we loved the movie. Then uh, when we saw Carousel 2 was coming out, you know, we uh, bought the copy so we could have our own little viewing party. Thank you. I really appreciate the support. All of you guys on my level do. Like every single sale really means the world. Both of those movies are, are, I don't know where you came up with these ideas, but they're hysterical. Thank you. Um, In general, I'm a a weirdo with a lot of insane imagination. Um, The specific (laughs) idea did come from Aline Isley, though, the co-creator. She's the one that came up with the idea of the killer unicorn named Duke. She's the one that came up with the title, and she's the Uh one that came up with his initial motivation of the first movie. Uh (laughs) Do you write these out? Because in my mind, they almost play out like a comic book. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate that, because one of my big inspirations growing up was Robert Rodriguez for his comic book style of filmmaking. Uh-huh. And I'm a big comic book fan myself, so that's not intentional, but that's probably just a subconscious thing that I do. If you're seeing that, um, I mean, what we when, whenever I write something, I usually will come up with the idea, come up with like the main couple of characters, and then write a two-page outline of what the plot's going to be, and then write the script, and then well, then I'll come up with characters. And then I'll write the script straight through. And then if it works, it works. And then if it needs a little extra, I'll go back and see what it needs. So like, for example, like Super Task Force One was a script that I wrote in like one day. And that script was final when I reached the end. Like there was nothing that needed touched up in my opinion. And to this day, I honestly don't think I needed to change anything in that script. Karis Hell in the first draft, and it only had two drafts, but in the first draft, uh, you never met Laurie and Lunchbox's mother. And the okay. proposal um, picnic scene wasn't in the film at all. Okay. But when I but when I read the script the first time, I was like, oh well, because we just see Laurie and Lunchbox get to the park and that's it. I was like, no, nah, I kind of want to get to know them. I want to know their house life, their relationship. So I added in the mother, and that worked out really well. Came up with the gag that she's like a stripper. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was like, oh, it's been a while since there's been a bunch of kills. So you know what? Let's add in two kills, like Friday the 13th 6, adding in those like middle three kills in the middle of the movie. You know, the I, couple I on am, the picnic. You, you hit on that is Friday the 13th has been ever since I watched the first one. That is what turned me on to, to movies. And the better the kill, I don't care about the movie. I just want the good kills. And and that's so funny you mentioned that because that's one of the reasons um, I really love the fir- the second one or the second, <laughs> I love that, is because it just starts right off. 
yeah with with an yeah. epic yeah, epic yeah, kill right in there <laughs> well i the second one was always for always like from 2016 like some people have been like oh suddenly they decided to have him and his son be together like no even when we were making the first film on set we were like okay so if we ever do a sequel most of the film is going to be Duke and his son together because we wanted to do a different... I'm a big fan of different tones, different takes of films. Like, I'm way more a guy that loves Gremlins 2 in terms of Gremlins 1 as opposed to movies <laughs> that just do, like, the same thing again, again and again. And, and that's not even to knock, say, Friday the 13th. Like, a lot of people will say Friday the 13th is just the same movie ten times, but it's not. Like, there's still different right. characters with different motivations in every single film. I would more so point to, like, say, Halloween where... So many of the movies is like, yeah, Michael's coming back to Haddonfield and he's trying right. to kill one specific person again. <laughs> All over again. Right. Yeah. Um, so, mm. but knowing that the second film was going to be so focused on, say, a family comedy film for most of the runtime, I was like, we need to start it hard. I need a, <laughs> I need a big kill immediately, and then I want another really cool, weird kill after that, so people know that like the soul and the flavor of Carousel One is still here. Duke is just growing up a little bit as a person because that's also important to me. <laughs> so I've noticed that that you you took a turn with Meowie Halloween and you started going more kid friendly. And and as much as that movie made me cringe, um, <laughs> you started doing all of this stuff and I'm wondering, uh, did you have a niece or a nephew or, or <laughs> nope. somebody that you're just... You just wanted to go and start horror off for the young generation? Well, it's so after I did Everyone Must Die, which is my first like feature film mm -hmm. that was part of my real career. Um, I basically I did the slasher horror, which was a horror parody, and then I did Everyone Must Die, which was a slasher movie. And especially in the indie field, I feel more than other fields of levels. Uh, if you like are doing horror, you can very much get stuck in this position of like, that's all you do. That's all you're allowed to do. No one's mm. going to care about anything else you do. No one's going to take you seriously. So like right after everyone else's style, I was like, I need to take every set that I have and make something different. And I'm a big fan of the genre tokuzatsu, which is Super Sentai, Giver, Power Rangers. And so I made Super Task Force 1, which was a PG tokuzatsu family superhero film basically and to this day i'm proud of what that movie is you know like i i still have the 27 by 40 poster in my living room because it's not it's not on the same level as Karis hell or captain z or Karis hell 2 or maybe even a couple of the meowies but i really set out to do something different and in my opinion given my resources at the time succeeded oh 100 I, I i just watched that movie this morning Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's on. Uh, what is it? Tubi, Tubi, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's on Tubi. Yeah, uh, hysterical. Thank you. Thank Just you. hysterical. I, uh, you had a very bad day. <laughs> I love, <laughs> yes, I, I did. I love that line being repeated. This is going to be a bad day. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> Um, so the, I did that film and it kind of, first of all, it did help establish like, oh, Steve doesn't just do horror, he does weird things too. And it also helped that I was also followed up with Captain Z, which is more like an adventure comedy mm -hmm. with horror inspirations, like Army of Darkness in terms of tone. Mm -hmm. Um, but also what I noticed with Super Task Force is that it did very well financially. No. Uh, <laughs> in places nice. outside of the convention market, because most of my sales are conventions. Okay. Um, in terms of physical sales, but Super Task Force did pretty well online when it eventually got to streaming. It did really well on streaming, and I kind of realized, like, oh, it's because 
parents will toss something on that their kids can watch and sometimes and kids get attached to things and they'll rewatch the same thing over and over and over again and back in 2013 2014 there were kids dressing up as enforcer green for halloween that year and i was like <laughs> what the fuck um so so then i did captain z then i did red christmas which was a horror movie then i did the survivors which is another horror parody then i did cares hell which was another horror movie and cares hell got picked up for distribution but it wasn't coming out for two years the distributor was very upfront they were very honest and like look we got a fucking backlog but we want your movie so oh, we okay. want to pick it up but we won't be able to release it until tw like 2019 i'm like okay that's fine thanks for telling me i know but you can't make another like major film and majors in quotes this was a fifteen thousand dollar movie but on my level it's a that's pretty big i mean that's a lot um, of <laughs> so but you can't make another one of those when the first one isn't even selling at all yet you know mm -hmm. like I was, i'm selling a few copies on my website and at conventions but it's not released released yet so at the time my buddy bill and i were we had our own podcast movie films with bill and steve it's no longer ongoing i finally called it quits after five years but it is still online <laughs> um but I, we got to a point where we we're watching multiple talking animal holiday films and one of them was great the three gut dogateers was super weird super in on its own joke made me laugh Every single fucking other one was like the most milk toast waste of money and resources. Yeah. They all clearly had at least a half a million dollars, if not more, because of the mansions they were renting and they were SAG productions. They all had Dean Kane in them. And, <laughs> and finally, I reached my breaking point with the movie called The Dog Who Saved Christmas because it was like the most cheap lame terrible home alone ripoff with no originality no funny <laughs> jokes no interesting takes and i just on the show like live when we were recording it i got so angry i just yelled fuck it i got five hundred dollars in a cat i'm gonna make my own home alone ripoff <laughs> so that's where the alley christmas came from so bill and i we worked on the script together and we're both insane and that's why we made a Meow Christmas, even though it is still like a Home Alone ripoff, and that is the joke. The joke is to make fun of specifically the dog who saved Christmas. Um, it's still about a cat that watches Alex Jones videos, and so she thinks the two burglars are lizard aliens. That's what I'm saying. I also noticed you're wearing the shirt, too. Yes, of course. Um, so, I, and that's, Meow Christmas was probably the only film that I made for fun. Like, pretty much everything else that I've made has been for, A, because I wanted to tell the story, but also for business reasons. Like, I'm mm -hmm. making this with a plan to make a profit to sell it as a product. This I made just for fun, just so that I would stop losing my mind with these <laughs> other talking animal movies. Just tossed it on Prime, didn't even have a plan for release, and that movie made so much money on streaming. So much money, because it was a Christmas movie, and it had a talking cute cat, and kids loved it, and parents loved it. I was like, okay. Uh, so I released that in November of 2017, and I've always had an itch to make a PG horror film because I love PG horror. I love Ernest Scared Stupid. I love Paranorman, Hocus Pocus. I love the concept of making a scary, spooky movie without blood or gore or swearing or that sort of stuff. Yeah. So then I was like, I can use the Meowie now that I've established a fan base and get even crazier and weirder with it. So then I did the Meowie Halloween. We wrote that script, chopped it with a bunch of horror references which i love doing that sort of thing i um, i called most of them and we released that so meowie christmas came out in november 2017 and we released a meowie halloween in august of 2018 so like less than a 10 month turnaround um and that mm -hmm. is the best financial decision i've ever made in my life 
That movie has made me more money than any of my fucking movies. <laughs> uh, especially because that movie cost me $300 to make. Wow. Most of it is just me and my cat in my house, in my buddy's house, and that's it. Well, <laughs> no, there's the car with our favorite star of the show, the dust spot. Um, you have a dust spot on your camera. In oh, the yeah, car. yeah. And we, we love him. We want an autograph from the dust spot. Um, we'll get the dust spot to hook you up. The hardest, the hardest thing to nail down, the seasons seemed to change. Were you doing it in one, one, cause I'm in Alaska, so it can snow one day and be clean the next yeah, day. We shot the whole thing in like one week. So wow. the seasons changing was just the natural weather. Just happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it was not like a case where we started in summer and finished in fall. Like it was all shot in the same week. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Meow Halloween was such a huge hit and such a huge financial success that at first I was like, I'm going to call it there because Keita, the rat who plays Chuck, passed away. And to me, Whiskers and Chuck was like such a vital part <laughs> of what made the film work. But the fans were demanding it. And the first two made so much money that I couldn't say no to more money, especially because they were so easy to make. Like, if they were harder to make, I wouldn't do it. Like, Super Task Force fans want a sequel. It was too much of a pain in the ass to make and didn't make enough money to justify the stress. Uh-huh. The Mayai movies don't take that much stress. <laughs> so we did we did three and four, uh, Meowie St. Patrick's Day and Meowie Christmas Vacation, and that I'm calling the end of the franchise. Because it similarly, it would be easy to fall into the pit of just making talking animal movies for the rest of my career, and I also don't want to do that. So I'm very yeah. happy that I made these four movies. I'm very happy that it's a continuous, ongoing story where every single entry matters, unlike other talking animal movies where it doesn't. And <laughs> I, I'm so attached to the genre that if you search my name on Amazon, you'll find other talking animal movies. Right. That's, that's right. how right. far up Meowies have gotten. And like, to me, that's my biggest victory in life. <laughs> so uh, um, maybe I'm skipping too far ahead, but tell us about this movie. What is it? Shingles? Yes, Shingles. All right, so there's this group of guys, authors, called Authors and Dragons. Uh, What they do is that they basically have, like, a couple of, like, they're all book writers, and they all have their own books, and they all play D&D together for, like, this weekly podcast or something like that. And they have a a pretty big fan base. They've been doing this for a while. But one of the things they also all write is that they all write their own books to be part of the series called Shingles, which is basically an R-rated grosser Goosebumps, hence the name. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they do like Bad Movie Saturday or something like that and a couple of their fans are like you guys gotta watch Carousel because usually they watch bad movies uh, bad movies um, they riff on them it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000 they watch right. Carousel and apparently it was the quietest episode ever because they were just laughing and like, they couldn't <laughs> come up with any jokes and like they were so into it and like it was really fun talking to them because they really got all of the writing jokes that I did they really got like all of the pacing and everything that I did in terms of the script writing which was cool but they got me on the, their show they interviewed me we had a great interview they had a great time and apparently they just kind of felt like I would be the perfect guy to make a shingles movie because they've been talking about making a movie based on their writings for years. They didn't know specifically what, but after talking with me, after Stin Care's Hell, they decided on shingles. So what they did was they wrote a screenplay, which is a horror anthology, and it's like five stories. Um, and then they came to me with the script and opened up discussions of hiring me to produce the film. It's their money, but in terms of me being the producer is like a manager position is like, because mm-hmm. I know how to schedule, I know how to cast, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can take care of that and directing the film. 
and uh, we touched up the script a little bit to narrow it down a little because it was a little too long. Added a couple jokes of my sense of humor, and we are moving ahead to shoot the movie next year. We got a budget of uh, $45,000 mm. and very much looking forward to what we can do with this film. So, oh, that's great. Now, this soon. was this was like a crowdfunded thing, right? It, yes, they, is, they did an Indiegogo where an, on Indiegogo you can choose flex funding, which means you keep whatever you raise, and they raised okay. like $30,000, which was 15000 under their goal. And now these guys are getting the last fifteen thousand together themselves out of pocket, so okay. they can get the full budget. It, it is the Indiegogo campaign still active? No, it's done. It's okay. done. But eventually, they're in the next year. In order to get a little bit of extra funding, just to sprinkle around the project, they are going to be doing this really cool collector's edition hardback book, which oh, is going cool. to be all of the shingle stories being adapted into the film, plus the screenplay. And they're going to sell it for like a hundred bucks. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, um, is, is this going to be one movie? It sounds like yes, it. one movie. Okay, isn't it? yeah, horror okay. anthology wraparound story. Okay, just people telling like four different stories in it. Yeah, that's really exciting. So, we will you film that in in Pittsburgh as well? You know, I I kind of yeah. feel like you're becoming the John Waters of of Pittsburgh. You know, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> i'll take that big time um yeah it's just a case where you know i moved here a few years back because the missus wanted to stay in the area wasn't coming back with me to california anytime soon which is fine so in order to take care of the property values bought a house and i'm here for a while so why not continue shooting around here if i'm in charge because i know i already have all the connections i already know a bunch of places to shoot and it's mm -hmm. relatively cheap so you know unless someone hires me to make a movie somewhere else Sure. If I'm hired to make something or I'm making something, it's probably going to be in the tri-state area. Yeah. I, I, I just love seeing the, uh, well, the, the town itself, mm -hmm. the suburbs that, that, that are, you know, in the movies. I, I love the, uh, the baseball park or field in, in uh, Super Task, Super Task, Task Force. Force. Yeah. Uh, and of course the whole joke, you know, he's got out to get fries and, <laughs> And it's the one time a baseball game ends very soon. The concession stands closed. You know? <laughs> He's having a bad day. <laughs> so, so when you when you do the writing, um, you you have these characters that have um, such different backgrounds. You have the French Canadians. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love and... that! I love that little twist when when we find out ah, they're not really French. They're French Canadians. <laughs> that was and, definitely a case where Aline came up with the idea of foreign exchange students. Oh, we'll make them French. Oh, and they'll be incestuous. She came up with all that. And in my mind, I instantly said, oh, they're going to be from Quebec. And I didn't tell her until we got to that point of writing the script. And I just typed the line. <laughs> and then that, the pizza yeah, man. What, what, was the, what was the whole... Because you know what the pizza man reminds me of is just like... Um, that background character that's just so timid it's like um rick moranas in ghostbusters it's that timid <laughs> it's that but it's that running gag and that person just ends up being kind of a main character but you have that that kind of background running gag of and it happened in Miaui with the police officers mm -hmm. you, you have that running gag that just kind of circles around do you, do you, did you know somebody who was a pizza guy or something? Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, just, I, whenever I write characters, I like either 
writing cartoon characters straight up mm-hmm. um and slash or i like taking horror tropes and turning them on their head i don't like i don't want to parody the tropes i just want to take the tropes you recognize and do something different using carousel as an example you have preston who within the first minutes of meeting him he's the generic slasher jock bully he's the dickwad that makes fun of everyone and insults people (laughs) that's his character but in cares hell he's the one getting bullied for the whole rest of the fucking movie just because he likes a show meant for little girls (laughs) and is unashamed of it but the rest of the world hates him for it i like doing stuff like that um i like making characters cartoons i like making them ridiculous and fun but i also like having genuine heart and like i it's it might be tongue in cheek, but it's not winking directly at the camera in that sort mm-hmm. of sense. So you have, I, I, I believe the pizza guy in general was Aline's idea that there's a pizza guy that just wants paid. Mm-hmm. And I think I pushed it further than that. I think that part was me. <laughs> and it was just a case of like, no, this is a genuine, heartful guy that just wants paid <laughs> for the pizzas and go. And that's going to be the joke the whole movie. And it ended up, him becoming a lead character in the script which wasn't the original plan it's just like he was the most straight man that was at the party Mm -hmm. he he had to be the one to just question everything and think it was ridiculous and the only one that doesn't automatically buy into this insane situation and it just worked out that way i've noticed um there is thanks killing and you have this turkey puppet that just runs around everybody treats it like it's a human Mm -hmm. and and you take duke and and you turn him into a they kind of treat it like, yeah, it's it's acceptable yeah. for some right. strange reason. No, but nobody makes, questions that it's a fiberglass. Yeah. You know, uh, but he makes fun yeah. out of them for doing that. Yes, and I, yeah. I love how it's, it t- like you said, it turns that trope on its head. And he's like, why are you guys, why are you, uh, okay. <laughs> in, in, my, in my opinion, it's a case where like, I want, like my movies are comedies. I think Red Christmas is the only one that, at all is not a comedy and even that still has more fun than other films in its own genre (laughs) um but even though the film is a comedy and it's meant to be silly and wacky and over the top it's a case where like the threat is real like these people are getting killed they are dying they are afraid of the situation it's not that part isn't treated as an outright joke but at the same time it's so insane that i feel you always need at least one person to be like wait what the fuck like everyone else can buy in on it because this is the universe all my movies take place on the same earth so this is a world where there's a bunch of slasher villains that have gimmicks and shit so maybe these people have run into that before maybe they've seen the news we don't know that part's not important but you always need at least one person to bring a level of like realism of what the fuck is this uh it's like it's like the star trek villain syndrome you know, you can be, you can have the Star Trek villain be as over the top and insane and genocidal and as maniacal as possible, so long as you have his one right-hand man be like, hey man, I think you're kind of going a little too far here, just so that you understand that there are humans, or maybe not humans, but you know, it's like there's a realism of the morals and the world there. Gene Roddenberry always did such a great balance of of adding a new... Uh, a new alien for a current problem mm-hmm. and and i love the fact that in the second you you, you recreated a nazi problem <laughs> with a twist 
and I love how you incorporated, especially the 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 wiener schnitzels and stuff like that. I love how <laughs> how you incorporated. How would these people live in modern times? Like, mm-hmm. what would they be doing? Who would they be interacting with? Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of interesting. And you you do that with uh, you know, forgive me, I've only seen three, but uh, you do that with Meowie as well. Is you've got the cosplayers. Mm-hmm. You've got those normal people doing normal, weird jobs, but they're normal. You don't mm-hmm. try to create something that isn't something that I could not, even in Alaska, could not go out and meet yeah. if I were to go outside. But I'm not because it's snowing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you want to connect with the audience with things that actually exist. So, yeah, these are dark magic, old god worshiping, immortal nazis but if they existed in 2021 what are they going to do well they're going to be talking to fucking trumpers on the internet mm-hmm. you know they're going to be fucking renting out shitty warehouses because that's the only places they can find that are cash only <laughs> you're going to have this guy like just becoming obsessed with being a secret agent even though there's nothing he's being a secret agent for but it's his only driving force um and that, that was honestly a hard tightrope to walk because again this is a comedy film obviously the nazis are going to be funny but at the same time, I didn't want it to be like literal Hogan's Heroes levels of, oh, they're just lovable goose, these Nazis. <laughs> so that's why we, you know, we had like, you know, some people have been like, oh, we didn't need to see Robbie get hurt and hit and torture. I'm like, nah, you fucking did to remind you that these are garbage human beings that uh-huh. were all in on genocide and killing people and were fucking evil. <laughs> so I think I did a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was also nice because then you you have these supernatural thing, beings that can still do powers mm-hmm. and Robbie's starting to come into his powers because he's being tortured, Yes, but they're not enough to save him. <laughs> and then the Care Bear stare with the Indiana Jones twist. Yes. <laughs> I, and it just kept going and going. And just before you get irritated, it ends. But it was like, you're like, Definitely, this guy loves Indiana Jones. <laughs> I mean, that was that was definitely an inspiration. Let's do Indiana Jones, but grosser and slower. Um, and, and it was also like, okay, you remember like the the laser melt microwave killed for the first one? Let's kick that up to eleven coating. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did read a, a, an interview with you where you mentioned you you really don't like working with puppets. <laughs> that was more so Scott. Okay. Um, because he was the one that had to edit the film. Okay. And so with, with Duke, it's easy to work with Duke. You know, we set him up, we put him down. <laughs> the most we had to do was like, we learned from the first film how best to like where we need to hold in order to move him in a shot or move him out of shot and stuff like that. We have the stunt head for like quick stuff and movements. Uh-huh. So Duke's easy. Robbie needs at least two people on him at all times whenever he's actually doing something. Because he has two cords one for his ears one for his eyes blinking then he needs the arm through the back for the head movement in the mouth and then he also has sticks on his arms so that he can move his arms so there was a lot of times when filming we didn't notice that and then when scott got to the editing room oh you can see this person's head behind robbie oh you can see this cord oh his stick comes completely in a shot so scott had to go frame by frame and did a lot of cgi work to edit all that stuff out Uh, if you if you recall when duke saves robbie the shot of robbie going on to duke's back Uh so that was at at, uh b barnaby and i were picking up robbie we were doing the puppeteering for that shot so we picked it 
him up, put him on Duke's back, and it looked fine, and Scott could have cropped it to not see us, but then you wouldn't have seen much of Robbie, so what he did is he went 800 frames and cut the two of us out, so it looks oh, like yeah. Robbie floats through the air like magic, but because of that, Scott fucking hates Robbie. He hates Robbie. <laughs> I promised him that there will be less Robbie in the third if there's a third. Robbie's still going to be back, but there will be less Robbie. Well, he, you, you have an opportunity to, um, like she said, because as you can tell, Steve, uh, Steve, Stefan is, is the, the researcher. I'm just the host. <laughs> so I just talk. Um, and, um, so, so you have an opportunity because she did the, the mom did mention that he is growing at a exponential rate, not that you should get one of those unicorn, uh, masks, but you have an opportunity to age him to the point where you <laughs> might not need to have puppetry at all and just create maybe just a, a, a more, Adulty. Oh yeah, but but well, but think of the marketing case... opportunity here, though. I mean, every <laughs> little kid wants one of those for Christmas. I would think. Um, there won't be an age up in the third film. The third film will, will like canonically take place about a year later, if that. Um, and the core reason for that is we spent two thousand five hundred dollars on this puppet. We're going to put yeah. it in another fucking movie. <laughs> uh, we're going to get our money's worth. Um, but after that, yeah, we could do anything with Robbie. Like we can, we can have Robbie show up in the future in space with an eye patch and a robot gun, <laughs> cybernetic arm, cable him out. <laughs> yeah, lots of pouches. So wow. How, how'd you get into this? Have you been making movies since you were a kid? Yeah, basically, ever since yeah. I was a a young little Steve Junior yeah. with a high eight camera making garbage in my backyard with friends. I've been doing yeah. it for most of my life at this point I, I think everybody we've 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 chatted with has kind of the same story you know they they got their grandmother's super eight camera or something you know and, and yeah. then uh, yeah it's amazing it, it, it's it's uh and that's and all it is everyone's just like how'd you start i'm like i just started like there's not like a secret there's not like a big story i just started when i was an idiot kid and just kept doing it until i eventually got better that's, yeah. I'm a that's bigger it. idiot kid. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, really that's how it is because it, it's it's interesting to to just even when you're any art form when you're yeah. dealing with something that you've done, it's just second nature. Everybody just is going yeah. along for the ride. Well, it starts with with love of the of the of what you're doing, you know. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love the cool. fact that you and I—we both, uh, Puppet Master, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, both <laughs> all the stuff that you talk about are your favorite movies. Are what started me into watching movies, and then you know everybody watches all these extreme movies, and I'm like, why can't we just watch the ones that have the passion and the love and the goofballiness? And then I love that fun. Like I like horror because it makes me laugh and it makes me have a good time. You know, whenever yeah, horror is trying to be extreme or serious, I'm that's when I'm not into it. That's that, yeah, that was the problem I had is my friends would take me, we'd all go to the movies and they're like, You're not supposed to be laughing. And I'm like, <laughs> I never I never even finished paranormal activity, the first one. I walked out of the theater because it was ghosty, 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 ooh, things lighting on fire. Okay, this is cool. And now it's a demon. I'm out. Nope. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I enjoy the first paranormal activity a lot, but not for the intended reasons, because the intended reasons is you're supposed to be, at least from my yeah. perspective, my opinion, is you are supposed to be scared and freaked out at this more realistic take of ghosts. I think that movie is hilarious because it's basically Tim the Tool Man Taylor being an exorcist, doing everything fucking wrong the whole yes. movie. And I was having a great time. You're like, hey, you fucking ghost, where are you, piece of shit? I'm like, yes, this is what I want. <laughs> Less fun. I was like, oh, never mind. And then apparently that's what the series is now. But I could have yeah. watched, watched a series of the worst exorcist. Just doing everything wrong. Have you ever seen Laser Team? The Rooster Teeth I one. I know Laser Team because uh, I know a few of the Rooster Teeth guys, but I still haven't seen it yet. It's it's very much like that. They just come across all this stuff and then bumble their way through, and 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 you know, it it's it's fun when you get those people who do it on purpose. But yeah, like you said, when they start trying to make themselves serious and trying mm -hmm. to like, it's like. I, that's why I like the Hellraiser. Is it started off serious and went okay? Yeah, we should just take it off to this direction and this direction and it never goes in the same direction <laughs> you know puppet masters the same thing you, you at first you think they're evil and they turn out to be anti-heroes and that's that's kind of cool and duke kind of turns into that anti-hero especially with his son but he's still not afraid to kill anybody and i love that yes <laughs> i'll be a parent on my terms um yeah it's definitely a case for like again like i like fun i like silly uh, I like comedy, but that doesn't mean there can't be any earnestness, mm -hmm. you know, like even even within Carousel 2, like the Duke Robbie relationship is completely earnest. There is no this is the gag. haha. -ha. Like, no, they they love each other. It's a real relationship in this insane situation. <laughs> right. you know, like and sometimes serious takes the more serious looks at stories and characters works for me better. Sometimes, you know, I've. I actually prefer a lot of the DC movies over, say, the MCU, even though the MCU is the joke a minute type movies, which should be my cup of tea. But I guess they just don't do it in a way that I feel earns the comedy. Yeah. Whereas, like, when Batman v Superman has a joke in it, since the rest of the movie is so serious, it's just like, ha, 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 okay, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Kind of takes you out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think the DC universe has has the capability of of also making more fun out of the mcu than the mcu can do with dc mm -hmm. <laughs> and then i know that sounds horrible but dc will make fun out of mcu if they can. <laughs> and i think that's epic mm -hmm. um so so what what holiday do you think uh you're gonna do next with uh meowie if you're gonna do another meowie I mean, as I said, none. Yeah, the, the series is oh, over. Yeah. You're done. That's, with that's why yeah. in Meowie three and four, they name like fifteen holidays. To, like <laughs> oh, joke okay. about the past year or two years, they've been on all these different adventures for all these different holidays. Chuck died on a Meowie Thanksgiving. We'll never wow. see that, but it happened. <laughs> Chuck fought a kaiju on a Meowie Valentine's Day. We'll never see that, but it happened. So we did a lot of that. Um, that's not to say that the series is completely, completely dead. You know, obviously, if there's a, a way or a possibility to kind of explore what happened before part three or in between three and four in like comic book form or animated form, I'm not going to say that's never going to happen, but it's also a case where like it would cost me more money to make a comic book than it would to make another Meowie movie. And yeah. I don't want to make another Meowie movie. So if something happens, it may happen, but I'm not going to go out of my way to push it. 
That being said, I just wrote um, a very short script, and I'm talking short as in five minutes, uh, to start a possible something going on as an exclusive for SteveBuster.com, which is called A Meowy Dark Timeline, where we start exploring some of the dark timeline that we don't see in Meowy 4, because Wally gets there 30 years past the dark timeline starting, Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have a little fun with that. So if if it does well enough with the fans, they really like it. I may do more Meowy Dark Timeline stuff, so we will see more Whiskers. But that's gonna be like an in passing when I feel like it sort of thing, as opposed yeah. to like I gotta get the story done and told <laughs> by X time. Like no, I'm doing chapter one. If people like it, maybe in six months or a year I'll do a chapter two, or maybe I'll do it sooner all comes down to what people say or want or what they react to or no one will like it i'll just do chapter one as a fun little thing toss it on a dvd as a bonus feature and that'll be that that'd be cool so that's so, that's clever steve where can where can people find you where can they find your stuff absolutely uh, well if you would like to support me the best way financially it is of course going to silverspotlightfilms.com and buying the physical merch um, all of my DVDs are there, all of my Blu-rays are there, and there's a few other fun things that are there, that uh, such as like posters. I have a 10-year anniversary vinyl album uh, of music from my 10 years of movies, where side A is like all the vocals, and then side B is Steve O'Bortz's favorite scores, like singular score songs that he did for the films over the past decade. Um, we got the Karis Hell deck building game that I'm a big fan of. Uh, we actually lose $2 on every single one of those that we sell, but I don't care because I don't want to charge more because it'd be so expensive, but I think it's really cool and fun. It's also on Tabletop Simulator on Steam for free if you have Tabletop Simulator. And uh, so that's a, lot of, that's a lot of stuff. That being said, I know that I've made like 12 goddamn movies in the past 10 years, and you can't afford to buy t- 12 DVDs or 10 Blu-rays, and I understand so the second best way to support me is to head to my own digital streaming subscription service, which is stevebuster.com. It's as low as three bucks a month, and it is literally my entire library. It is every movie that I've made. It is every bonus feature that I've put onto those physical releases. It is a bunch of exclusives that I shot specifically for Steve Buster, such as Lost in Cleveland. It's a 20-minute short we made just for the service. Um, and there's like older films that I haven't sold for years, like the Wolfster movies, and I won't ever sell again, but I upscaled them to 720p HD and put them onto Steve Buster so you can still see my old, old, like 17-year-old, 18-year-old self doing stuff. Um, And like we're up to about 30 hours worth of content on there. That's also the only place to watch Carousel 2 in 4K because, you know, we shot it on like a camera capable of 4K, but... No one gives a shit about buying 4K and it costs me too much to put it onto an Ultra <laughs> HD Blu-ray, so fuck that. Right. <laughs> um, so Steve Buster is a really solid way. And the reason why that's the second best way to support me is that obviously my stuff is also on Tubi. It's also on Prime Video. But if you want some hard real numbers, Prime Video pays one cent per hour streamed. So if you watch Super Task Force on or Meow and Halloween on Prime Video once... Um, one single person subscribed to Steve Buster equals 300 of that. Wow. So that's why I introduced yeah. Steve Buster. As a sort, yeah. It's sort of like a compromise, because I know not everyone is cares about physical as much as I do. Not everyone can afford to buy a bunch of physical, and that's fine. So we got Steve Buster, where it's just a few bucks, and it's kind of an in-between of just watching something with the subscription service you already have versus being able to support the director directly. 
Yeah. But again, if you don't want to spend any money and you want to try stuff <laughs> out, almost all of my stuff at this point is on Tubi TV. Um, and Tubi does pay a little bit more because it's ad space. Please, for the love of God, do not use an ad blocker. I will fucking find you. <laughs> um, it, it ends up being like a nickel per hour stream, which is definitely better. So you can check out my stuff there. Carousel is there. Uh, Super Task Force is there. Meowie 1 is there. Meowie 2 is there. And they just picked it up. It's not on there yet. But in Meowie Christmas Vacation, the end game cut is going to be on there. And that's okay. three and four cut together as one movie because they only take features. And they're okay. both short. So I put them together as a feature. Oh, so cool. all the Meowies will be on Tubi now. <laughs> um, so that's a, that is a legitimate legal way to check out my stuff if you kind of want to roll the dice and see what I'm about before you make the decision to subscribe to Steve Buster or to buy any of the physical stuff. And of course, I'm on Instagram at Dark Mullet. That's just kind of where I post myself in costumes or being a thirst trap, you know. <laughs> so, so the holidays are coming up, um, and you are Spider Man. Do you have a uh, favorite nonprofit for the holiday season that that maybe our cringers can donate to to help with the kids that you guys perform for? I mean, one of them I go to nonprofits that I always do bring up, not only because I work with them, is Make-A-Wish. They're mm -hmm. definitely one of the charities where most of their donations does go into making these kids' dreams come true. And, like, they really do go the extra mile with getting these kids what they want, what they need. And it's it's really a life-changing sort of deal. And, again, I've worked with them. I've met a lot of Make-A-Wish kids. And it's always bittersweet and hard, but I'm really happy that I'm able to do what I do with uh the program so if i was thinking of one off the top of my head that's the one i go to almost instantly every time so that, that's after you've bought all your friends and relatives yes of course dvds <laughs> the first charity is steve rosinski's right. i need to pay my mortgage fund <laughs> right <laughs> right well listen we have kept you a long time thank you so much for your time uh this has just been a real joy uh like I said, we, Stacey and I are just such fans. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I took a shot in the dark saying, hey, I wonder if this guy would talk to us. And, and, and we were Absolutely. pretty giddy when, when you, when you <laughs> yeah. I'm always willing. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was really glad to be here. This was a nice little talk. It was really nice to meet you folks and speak fake to, face to face or yeah. to your listeners voice to voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> we do have, we, we actually just got two Russian. So we have uh, Australian. <laughs> UK, New Zealand, Russia, America, and Canada. So you are and, international. And Bolivia. We, we, have, oh. we have one listener in Bolivia. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I have been able to sell uh, at least one copy of my movie to like so many different countries. So that's why I always introduce myself as world famous filmmaker Steve Rizinski. There you go. Hey, uh, hey take it when you can. Because... That's one copy. That's one copy. But we actually sold more than one. Like for some reason, we are relatively known in Japan. And for some reason, Karis Hell is catching on in Brazil, which is A, cool, but also I can't financially take advantage of that because Brazil is a fucking nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to. yeah. That's amazing. And also in general, according to several friends that I have from Brazil. All right, sir. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Steve. We really yeah, appreciate it. And and please, by all means, you know, just know that if you buy and sell anything from Alaska, going to Alaska, that's me. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. All right. Take care. Wow, thank you so much, Steve. That that interview was great. It was so high energy and so much fun. 
He's a great guy, just a, a great guy. And I, I really appreciate him coming on this our little show. He referred to us as a show. I know it was crazy. Wasn't that great? Wow. And and the hardest bit was it's it's after that stupid time change fiasco thing that happens every six months. Yeah. That causes you problems? Not really. Okay. Well, it, <laughs> yes, actually it does cause me problems because I have two mouths to feed. Dogs. And that reminds me, I need to change the cat's time on his feeder. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, that interview went long. This podcast is going long, so we should probably get out of here. What do you say? Run like the wind. Yeah, no. Uh yeah, that was that was a very fun interview, and it did. It, it just kind of just the these guys are just so awesome. They're so easy to talk to. Yeah, they love what they're doing. Okay, cringers. Until the next time, keep the algorithm guessing, and never be afraid of just clicking that movie and seeing where it takes you. This is Stacy, and this is Steve. Good night, children. Just remember. Some of you might not wake up tomorrow. <laughs>